edition of Films on Trial, episode number 10, Lethal Weapon. I'm Gav. I'm Dave. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. And we are four lads from Liverpool who love sitting around and bitching about films. You could say we are, please, please review me. It's not getting any better, mate. It's getting better, 100%. Yeah, they're not getting any better, are they? are getting gradually, gradually worse. Well, I say gradually, sharply worse. Uh, so, just to say, if you haven't heard this show before, basically, we take a film and we put it on trial. There will be four roles within the show. The role of the defender, who will defend the film and hopefully put it on the hit list. The role of the prosecutor, who will condemn it and hopefully put it on the shit list. Then the role of the character witness, who will give a bit of their opinion to either side of the argument to throw a bit more weight to it. And then ultimately the role of the judge, who will have the final say to decide which list the film goes on. Just to say that the films are pulled out of a hat at random, and so are the roles. So it might be a case where somebody is defending a film that they hate, or they are prosecuting a film that they love. This week, though, it's going to be slightly different as we have a jury special. Dun, dun, dun. I'll go into that in a little bit more detail later on. But just to say that we're also going to have lots of fun things on the show, like banter, quizzes, trivia, and first up, a regular part of the show, it's the news. What is that? Is that a tune? Is yeah, that, yeah. What, Anybody what tell it? me what that tune is? Is it the Lethal Weapon yeah. theme tune? It's That's the we practiced it a while, yeah. Yeah, it's the Lethal Weapon theme tune played on a xylophone, yeah. That's <laughs> probably the slowest song that we've had on the xylophone. <laughs> probably less impactful, but it did take me the longest time to learn <laughs> because it's, uh, you know, a roaring 80s guitar solo. Yeah, it's, more of a, it's less of a theme tune. It's more just a sax solo. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's mainly used for slow motion uh, kind of mullet in the wind scenarios <laughs> rather than being played on a xylophone, to be honest. But anyway, let's move on. Joel, what is your piece of news for the week? It's good news, if you like The Fast and the Furious. If you haven't had enough of them after eight films, there's going to be... Well, Vin Diesel has announced a live arena tour. So if you love the stunts and you just love watching the really realistic stunts out of The Fast and the Furious, then they are going to be recreating some of the most famous ones, and they're going to be doing it live at the O2 Arena before they head out worldwide. I think like, the actual cast members are going to be in there as well, like Vin well, Diesel. And unless it's just Vin Diesel on his on his own, own his car. <laughs> so, so hang on, I, see, I thought it was it was going to be like a musical. <laughs> I imagine, like, Fast and Furious, the musical. It's <laughs> 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 Fast and the Furious. Uh, but well, so they're going to recreate some of the stunts from the film. There isn't many details yet. It says more details uh, will I'm become sure available as we get it. But it I mean. When you think of the most famous ones, I think of the one where the car jumps from one building to another building. Don't really know how he's going to recreate that live. What about when the car goes under that 18-wheeler truck and they continue to ride along at the same speed? Oh yeah, it's a good one. But all of them basically involve cars nearly blowing up, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they can put that onto yeah. a live show. Because, uh, I mean, remember the Spider-Man musical that was... In, no. <laughs> no, don't. No, do you remember that? No, I've never heard oh, of that. Oh, no, I, I remember the Spider-Man Seriously? musical. Yeah, yeah. Spider-Man out, out Into Darkness or something. It was basically the most expensive Broadway musical of all time. It cost about like 70 million. And what? It, the soundtrack was by U2. 
and on the opening night the guy who played Spider-Man <laughs> fell from the rafters because there was a malfunction and oh my god yeah, genuinely yeah yeah, yeah. and, and uh, on the second in, uh, second opening night there was another accident so they just they cancelled it yeah. it was just beset with injuries and yeah. accidents which I predict this will be as well frankly <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah I can't see this going well but who knows you never know I, I can't see UK health and safety being too comfortable <laughs> no. with this one maybe in Australia but not over here <laughs> exactly I mean if you would have asked me in 2001 if the Fast and the Furious would be probably the biggest earning franchise of all time I would have said shut the hell up that's not going to happen no way at all but it has so who knows maybe you know in years yeah. to come we'll be talking about the Fast and the Furious musical franchise <laughs> anyway Alex, what is your piece of news of the week? Uh, so my yeah, it's sort of news, but I'm just I was sort of reviewing the summer movies that have been out so far. You know, we're sort of just sort of midway through August now, and uh, yeah, there's been a huge amount of flops. It's been like a really bad year. Apparently, cinema takings are down like globally, but we've had like the Dark Tower, which is you know I haven't seen some of these, but they're getting panned critically and commercially. So the Dark Tower, Atomic Blonde hasn't done well. King Arthur just vanished without a trace. I mean that was really hyped. Just went. Power Rangers, Baywatch, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Mummy, and Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. But it's also making a list of films that have done well, and it was like Baby Driver, Dunkirk, Get Out has done well. This I know it's not quite summer, but it's done well this year. And Spider Man. And I sort of realised like a lot of the ones that haven't done well are reboots. So I know I know I sort of like, you know, that's my thing to go on about in this podcast. But I think, you know, I think audiences are preferring something a bit fresh like Baby Driver or Get Out. So, yeah. I wouldn't say Wonder Woman, Logan or Spider-Man where, mm. you know. No, I'm not saying I'm not saying all of the good, all the films that have done well are, you know just original ideas but I don't know I think you know there was no interest in watching The Mummy I don't think you know because people have you know people have seen it there's not really anything new to it so mm. maybe audiences have just become cynical hermits like yourself <laughs> that's, that's what I hope I want the world to be like maybe <laughs> <laughs> finally finally you know do we really need another comic book movie uh, maybe what it is, is is audiences are just clicking on to the fact that you need a story in films these days you can't yeah. just throw money at it and explosions and you know CGI yeah. and hope for the best unless you, your audience that you're looking to tailor to is, is Joel which pretty much says that's what you look for in every film isn't it explosions and superheroes and that's and racism and sexism as well that's, that's your bag mate <laughs> okay uh, moving on Dave what is your piece of news to be uh, piece of news I'm going for is there's going to be a sequel to the Al Gore film An Inconvenient Truth called An Inconvenient Sequel mm. uh, essentially Al Gore's crusade against climate change is not done he's back for round two he's reinvading the, uh, the lands of climate change and uh yeah, he's, uh, it's just funny seeing as Donald Trump has just basically gone back on everything Obama had done yeah. for the sake of climate change, so maybe that's why he's decided to put this film together. Maybe. The, what, the Paris Accord, was it? Didn't yeah. He, yeah, he's pulled out of it. Yeah. So I can see it's probably coming in at the time, to be honest. Mm. I think it could be good. I think it could be a good, you know, good it, documentary. It's kind of like, an un, you know, there's not much about climate change, considering it's like a huge global crisis. There aren't, there isn't that many films actually about it, so I'm, I'm happy that it's being brought. Well, to some, to some it's a huge global crisis. To some it's uh, fanciful. An opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> what was that film with Steven Seagal in? 
yeah, about, about, about climate change. Yeah. <laughs> is this the Michael Caine one on the oil rig? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah well, that was cutting. Uh, made us all think, didn't it? Uh, <laughs> 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 it made us all think about Michael Caine's American accent, which is an odd one because you, you never hear him with an American accent. True. There's a good reason if you want to. <laughs> I still haven't heard him with an American accent, guy, oh, when well, I've seen that film. Well, well you, are, you are missing out big time. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's good, to be honest. As you said before, yeah, it's something new, isn't it? Something yeah. different. Uh, maybe I'll go always putting on the agenda the amount of explosions in films in Hollywood. It's <laughs> probably have a damaging effect <laughs> on the environment. Did, yeah. did anyone actually? I, you know, I, I didn't actually see the first one. I'll, I'll be honest. Did anyone see an inconvenient truth? Wouldn't it? I haven't personally. Probably because it did have any explosions. <laughs> it might have done, mate. No, no, I, I didn't see it either. So. Uh, we're all uncouth basically yeah basically yeah. Yeah. yeah but still it's coming maybe, right. maybe we should see the second one yeah probably should yeah. Uh, maybe we should see the first one first yeah. 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 but if the problem's not fixed yet are we going to understand it if we haven't seen the first one <laughs> <laughs> right okay moving on and this is my piece of news for the week so the Chris Pratt vehicle Cowboy Ninja Viking has finally got a release date for 2019 now this is a film that is adapted from a popular comic book and it's been in a bit of pre-production hell for a while, getting bandied around from director to director. It's had a lot of script problems, but finally it's found its star with Chris Pratt and it's got a release date. They're just trying to figure out a director. And I, I mean, I, I personally haven't heard of it. I mean, nope. Joel, you, you like comic books, don't you? Have you ever heard I've of never it? heard of it, but... You know, I like Chris Pratt. Yeah, I've never heard of it, but Cowboy Ninja Viking, my interest is peaked. I'm, 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 I'm going to see it right yeah. now. <laughs> so just to let you know what it's about, it isn't about a Cowboy Ninja Viking. Oh, no, you lost me. <laughs> <laughs> but it's about people with multiple personality disorders. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Uh, but, uh, it's uh, a Chris Pratt vehicle, what, like an action yeah, yeah, I think it's it's he's like a police detective who has multiple personalities. That's interesting. Maybe, and three of them you might guess: uh, right. that of a cowboy, a Viking, and a ninja. So it could be good. Yeah, does he does he have the powers? I don't know. What powers does a, a, a cowboy have? have? <laughs> <laughs> good aim. Yeah, he can wrangle a cow pretty well. Uh, the powers of a Viking, you can call on Odin at any yeah. He can pillage any village. Yeah, so it might be good to mean he's in on, on a bit of a role at the moment, Chris Pratt, isn't he? And he seems oh. to be doing quite well in the box. It's, it's been a like sight, Jennifer Lawrence. If if they're in a film, I'm just going to go and watch it. I just absolutely love Chris Pratt. Oh, yeah. do you? Yeah, yeah, love Even him. the Magnuson 7 remake. Haven't seen it, never uh, seen it. <laughs> no, I've got to admit, I like Chris Pratt. I mean, he is on the, on the crest of a wave, uh, his divorce aside, he is on the crest of a wave in his career sure, at least. Yeah. But um, yeah, career wise, he's doing brilliant. Brilliantly, so I'll be watching this. Yeah, yeah he's just a divorce from Anna Faris. Yeah, regrettably so. Yeah. Is there anything like Hollywood romance anymore? It just seems to be dead. Well, like the power couples yeah. of, of the 90s. No, I don't think so. No, yeah. I didn't, I, yeah. Again, cynical old hermit. I don't quite believe in Hollywood love. power couples. <laughs> in love. <laughs> I don't believe in forming relationships. <laughs> okay, well, let's move it swiftly on from that. Hang on, hang on. Oh, I can't have lost it already. I'm sorry. It's only two notes with a gap in the middle. No, it's eight notes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, so moving on to our trailer of the week. So this week, I thought we could talk about the trailer for the remake of Death Wish starring Bruce Willis. So has everybody had the chance to see it? 
Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's directed by Eli Roth, and he's making a bit of a step out of his usual horror genre, and he's going for a more action-driven piece. And as you were saying before, Alex, about remakes, unnecessary reboots. Mm. What do you think about this? The idea of them remaking the Death Wish series isn't it getting a bit spot bothered for being alt right? Like it's it's been seen as kind of quite because he's bald. <laughs> I'm glad this is spoken word podcast. <laughs> Sorry for, for those who have never seen Alex, he may be slightly follically challenged. <laughs> oh well, <laughs> so much but of that. They all know now. <laughs> the illusion shattered. Sneakers disappeared. Sorry, uh, now I'm so surprised it being questioned for being not right. I don't know to be honest. I think just because of the you know just the well the vigilante the vigilante aspect yeah which I don't know a lot of sometimes a lot of superhero films could come in for a bit to be honest Batman, if yeah, yeah exactly I think you know yeah when they're taken too seriously not like with a bit of lightness they can get a little bit you know vigilantius yeah. I, I don't mind something being rebooted like this if you know if the original's a gem then you should just leave well enough alone Death Wish is no gem let's be honest is it not I don't think so I don't think so I think Death Wish it was a, it was a good concept but it could have been executed better I, re- I thought uh, what I really liked about Death Wish, the first one with Charles Bronson, is his reaction to killing somebody. So this is a guy who never killed somebody before, and he initially kills one of the bad guys. And his first thing is just to kind of like throw up. <laughs> it, was, it was just out of complete shock. Right. He just went and threw up, and that's something that I think we don't see a lot these days, especially when you look at the very, very packed genre of old white guy. Uh, has been wronged. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> By a group of. It is. <laughs> I know. Like the demographic is like dads, isn't it? Who yeah. who think, yeah, I've still got it. I could, yeah. Exactly. Like Taken yeah. and all of those ones. Yeah, yeah. That's what it is. And so, so to me, like seeing that initially, Charles Bronson kind of, oh my god, what have I done? Knocks it and then goes back to you know making his plan. That that added a sort of realism to it that I, I think is completely lost now because mm. it, it, it always seems to be the case of, of um, the retired you know, Navy SEAL or retired police officer or even if they're not they just learn how to be a badass in the space of a day and that's mm. it you know it's a case of pick up a gun fire it and I'm not lost so I think that is going to be the same with well judging by the trailer anyway it, that that's what it looks like uh, Bruce, Bruce Willis, Bruce Willis well. though I do like Bruce Willis yeah it's hard not to like him. Yeah, so. no, he's a good actor, but it's... It yeah, he gets away with a lot of guff, though. A, lo- a lot, a lot of guff. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. I think people think about Die Hard and... He does loads of straight-to-DVD stuff now, Yeah, definitely. De- I mean, you look at, like, Travolta, and all of his stuff is straight-to-DVD, and you think to... Oh, that's a straight-to-DVD sort of actor, but Bruce Willis has probably got the same amount going straight-to-DVD. And Nick Cage, actually. Maybe this, yeah... That's what it is. They're just working, aren't they? Maybe yeah. the, the old Hollywood dad. Sorry. <laughs> Joel was Joel so really angry. likes Bruce Willis. <laughs> the fact that we questioned Nick Cage's sweetest DVD film. My group over complete anger. Uh, if he hadn't done it, I was about to. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I think we should we should wrap it up there before Joel starts tearing down the place in complete anger. And we're going to move on to the main part of the show which is Films on Trial. So this week's film is Lethal Weapon. But it's a twist, so with the jury, the jury special, what's the... It's, it's a jury special, I'm, I'm going to go into that, Alex. <laughs> so, <laughs> acting as the judge this week is me, uh, and acting as the prosecution is going to be... Me. 
Very well done. Cheers, man. That was the sort of question I was something was answered off, off microphone. But so Joel's going to be the prosecution. That means Dave is going to be the defence, and Alex is going to be the character witness. Now, usually my role as the judge would be to listen to both sides of the argument and then decide impartially which. Uh, list the film should end up on not using my opinion but solely the arguments that are put to me however my role is slightly redundant this week because we are doing a jury special we have four special guests here who are going to act as the jury listen to all arguments and then they are going to decide which list the film should lie on so this week we have our four special guests Coming straight from the next best game studio, Wizarding Castle, we have Stephen Kerrigan. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter, at Wizard and Castle. <laughs> also, we have our graphic designer in the house, everybody. Yes, the guy yes. who comes up with our fabulous artwork every week. He's the immensely talented graphic designer, Winston Sang. You can follow him on Twitter, at the underscore quirks. Yes. <laughs> Also, we have a musician, technician, the guy who's basically sorted out all of our sound problems. He is Austin Ray. You can follow him on Twitter at Aussie Ray if you want to. And we have a guy who uh, isn't on Twitter, uh, but he, if you're ever in the Isle of Man and you have an accident, he is probably the guy that you should probably go and speak to. He's the A&E department of the Isle of Man. <laughs> <laughs> that that non-stop hectic traffic going through there. <laughs> At least 14 patients per year. He is Dr. Mike Evan. <laughs> Well, on that note, <laughs> right, we are going to move swiftly on. So, I am going to give the prosecution and the defence each a few points to discuss, and then Alex, as the character witness, is going to lend his opinion to either side of the argument to give it a bit more weight. So, without Indeed. further hesitation, Joel, what is your first point to discuss? Well, my opening point is going to focus mostly on the plot, but it's going to encapsulate other bits and bobs as well, such as the action sequences, uh, the direction, all that type of stuff. But I just want to start off with the opening scene. Um, so, I mean, if this happens in real life, you know, he would be totally sent to, to a psych ward. You know, given uh, Riggs's family history, not family history, sorry, personal history, he would just be straight away after that opening sequence he would be down in the psych ward you know we've fallen into um kind of traps in the past where the prosecution has said oh you know this couldn't happen like for example in the hangover when i said how did the tiger even get up to the hotel you know and i understand you know some parts of films are meant to be you just look past them and you watch them but there has to be a certain amount of realism for it to be believable so even moving on from that scene, we have the next scene with the Christmas tree. Again, like he's just extremely trigger happy. He is just a complete psycho and he just kind of works on this fact that Riggs is just completely crazy. And then to top it off, the scene after that is when Riggs gets asked to go up to the roof to talk a kind of mentally ill guy you know off the roof and he handcuffs himself to this guy and then jumps off the roof you know so it's just 
it's it's just out the realms of realism and it just kind of pushes you further and further away from the action and just on the the character of Riggs you know not including friendly people so you know people on his side like family friends or whatever if you actually watch the film there isn't that many people that he doesn't actually kill near enough 99% of them he actually ends up killing and the film it's meant to be an action film you know and with with action films especially in like the 1980s early 90s there are bits and bobs of comedy but the stuff in here which isn't meant to be funny which is funny it's like the whole too old for the shit and the fact that that Riggs is is, is crazy is just played upon over and over again and it, it almost becomes like a, a bit of a catchphrase and the whole plot for me is just kind of too action heavy uh, too cliche there's just loads of bits and bobs even when they try and do the kind of character building it's always kind of camouflaged by pseudo action there's a there's a scene in there where the, uh, Riggs and Murto are having target practice but they've both got earmuffs on and they're having a conversation so apparently they can hear each other through gunshots and through earmuffs and it you know it just doesn't really you know compensate for, for basically the lack of story it's just kind of pushed along by action sequences explosions um, and one highlight for me, uh, which is, is a bit shocking, there's an explosion scene, uh, the house blows up, and Murtoff actually grabs Riggs to make sure he's okay, you know, just checking his buddy's okay, and Riggs is like, oh, get off me, what are you, a fag? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that, that's a, that's that a quote. Um, and the, the script is just, it's just less, less than lethal, really. You know, the chase scenes and explosions, although they are fun to look at, they don't advance the plot. The whole film kind of goes against even the simplest cop procedures and with it kind of goes any sense of realism. Like Riggs pretty much fakes his own death in order to stop the, the kind of bad guys coming after him, which does work out in their favor in the end, but does he not think at that point, you know, if I faked my death, will they not come after my partner? And obviously they do, and they then kidnap his daughter. Um, so. I mean, he's a Vietnam veteran as well. I mean, surely he would want a quiet life, you know, leave the action and explosions behind. The violence is just completely unjustified. I mean, it's drug running at the end of the day, and they are, you know, murderers, but it's not, you know, world-threatening. But the, the villains and the civilians even are just kind of killed in such, like, an extremely casual manner. Um, cult killing multiple bad guys and civilians per day is just kind of like an average day for, for Riggs and Murtoff. Like the body count here must be just absolutely insane, really. I mean, we've spoken about it before and stuff like um, James Bond, but here it's just blatant, it's just in your face, and there's just absolutely no reason for it whatsoever. Like, there's never any attempt to kind of arrest these guys. It's just, you know, bang, 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 they're all dead. Um, and there's never a moment... Uh, I'm going to compare this film to like Die Hard, which was a year later, but there's never a moment when you think, you know, oh, how are they going to get out of this? Or there's never any kind of real tension within the film. So, for example, in Die Hard, um, you know, he's, he's pretty much trapped in a building. The whole film is like, how the hell is he going to get out of get out of this alive? But there's n we just don't have that in this film. They always seem to be in control of the situation, even in the torture scene. For some reason, they leave one generic bad guy to, to look after Riggs and obviously he overpowers him and escapes and rescues everybody else. 
Um, there's just kind of loads of weird little bits and bobs in there as well, such as the bath scene uh, where it's uh, it's Murtaugh's birthday and his whole family come in when he's when he's bollock naked and just sing happy birthday to him. And this is including like his 15, 16 year old daughter, his son, and it's just like uh, you know, okay. But even if we skip over that, the ending is a little bit of a disappointment for me. It was kind of billed as a virtuoso display of hand-to-hand combat and if you actually watch it it's just over lit it's over edited and you can't actually really see what's going on it's just like cut 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 and then it just kind of ends and that's kind of skipping over the fact that it's extremely over erotic um (laughs) (laughs) yeah what (laughs) Uh, so and then just kind of moving on from that scene uh slightly when uh gary boosie is beaten and he's like kind of He's lying on the ground. The fact that this is kind of, it's almost like a pay-per-view event. All the cops, there's like 200 cops just kind of stood there watching like this, this kind of homoerotic fight scene <laughs> with a mass murderer. And yet they, they do nothing. And then obviously when they go to restrain him, he pulls the gun, rigs a murder, aren't even looking at him. They do, he doesn't even have a gun because he put it down for hand-to-hand combat, but he magics one out of... It looks like Murtoff's pants. He looks, he magics that out of his pants, and uh, manages to grab him, and uh, obviously save the day. So, I think I've covered pretty much the plot and the script there. So over to. It sounds like you read the entire script. I'm be honest, man. No, thank you very much for that, Joel. So, Joel has brought up accusations of poor plot, it being unintentionally funny, too cliched, and too action heavy. Dave, what do you have to say about that? Is there such a thing as a two-action-heavy 80s cop movie? <laughs> Probably. Really? Really? <laughs> no, I mean, Joel talks about some of the cliches in this film. I'd like to point out this film came up with some of those cliches. It invented them. It introduced them. It's, um, you talk about the uh, the end fight scene. It's an iconic fight scene. Like you say, you know, you've got, got all these cops standing around watching a mass murderer fight Gary Busey, essentially. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> and uh, yeah okay the, the realism goes well out the window it did to be honest with you in the first 10 minutes that's not what you're watching Lethal Weapon for you know it's like you know Danny Glover saying this one's on me this one's on me you know I- I'll take charge of this one it's like this is your house you are clearly too close to this get out of the way sir. we're breaking this off <laughs> no realism went out the window a long time ago but I, I think that's alright in this film you know what you're coming here to see I hate to go back on to the Con Air defence but uh, it, it, it served me quite well yeah, but- don't take this too seriously. <laughs> this is an 80s buddy cop movie. It's It's got daft lines. It's got a bit of a comedy script. It's overblown explosions. Yeah, these guys would... You say the psych ward. I think they'd be in prison by now at the end of this, or at least buried in paperwork. You know, there's no work chance in hell. Realism is out. But do you not think there has to be... Uh an element of believability like not in every film if you're watching Die Hard you know if that was real life he would be dead given the circumstances and given some of the action sequences but here like even as I said like police procedure they just pay zero attention to it and it's like are they even cops I think there's something you said if you you show me um, a TV cop uh, a a cop film 
and it's all very by the book you know you got the real police officers working on it to keep it realistic and people say oh yeah that's actually that's exactly how a station goes down you know that's exactly how police detectives work I'd have something to say about it. I'd say oh that's really good they've clearly put a lot of thought into realism this isn't that film but not every not every cop film has to be like that you know realism's great for certain films for other films it's like nah just put it in a cop setting I want to see a good old action film I want to just get escapism I want to forget real world but if you think about something like Tango and Cash which is pretty much same genre same kind of time frame you never really doubt that those two are cops there was a procedure there was like on the phone for backup all that type mm. of stuff I don't know you know Sylvester Sloan playing a insurance oh no he was a cop wasn't he but didn't he have a very great analytical mind where he's also an investment broker in his, his spare time that they, they kind of be the thing for that was put a pair of glasses on him and I was like yeah, people believe that Sorry to uh, shit all yeah, you Shut up, Judge. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about the excessive violence. That, that you expect that from an 80s action film. That's what this is. Take it out of the cop genre for a second. That's kind of that's kind of submaterial. It's an 80s action film. You say Mel Gibson kills everyone he meets. They reference that. They make a joke out of it. Danny Glover says to him by the pool after they've shot the, uh, the drug dealer slash pimp. It's like, have you ever met anyone you haven't killed? And it's like, oh, I haven't killed you yet. It's like they make a joke out of it they reference it themselves uh, too old for this shit as you said it becomes a catchphrase it is a catchphrase it is possibly the most quoted line from Lethal Weapon it is a catchphrase and it's made it it is one of the most quoted lines I'd say from 80s cinema but it wasn't supposed to be it became the best catchphrase aren't the best catchphrases just evolve they get a life of their own people latch onto them and that's what this one did and it works it's like the, the plot I will admit you is this is nothing special the plot of this film presents you with nothing you haven't seen before it's a generic drug dealer revenge saga you know a bit of a family element it's, a, it's like the odd couple it's basically like Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon if they were cops and violent basically it was Australian wow. it was always black yeah, yeah no, not, I would have loved to have seen that <laughs> Okay, uh, so is that your argument done, Dave? Uh, I, I think so, I think so. Okay, Alex, now which side would you like to... Uh, I think, you know, both, both of them had some good points there. I do agree with Dave that, like, you know, it is very cliched, but it's kind of hard for us because it was, I mean, it was a year many of us were born, it was made, so it's hard to know if it's cliched or it actually made the cliches. And I think possibly it did make a lot of, you know, like the... The cop buddy movie. It does. This is sort of like a, a good format for that. And you know, I'm getting too old for this shit. You know, it is great to see that that's where it started. You know, it's a, it is a good line. But Joel also had a really good point at the start when he was talking about how unbelievably insane Riggs is, and like how you know, I think when we're watching it, it's like it's constantly established throughout the entire film that Riggs is insane and Murtar is old, and you know that's just constantly done again and again and again and again and again. It's almost like Shane Black was at one stage towards the end of the script writing. Have I? Have I really established he's that he's crazy? Every conversation that has with Riggs is about him being crazy, it seems. Um, you know, it is, you know, the plot, it's hard to take the plot too seriously because, yeah, it's lethal weapon. But the, like, as Joel was saying, the body count is ridiculously high. And for me, it sort of jars with the humour in the film. So sometimes they're having a bit of a joke, they're having a bit of a laugh. But because the body count is so high and because Riggs is just blowing everyone away he meets, I, do, I did find the excessive violence a little bit stopped the humour, whereas, oddly enough, um, I don't find that in other action films of the, of the time. So, um, I don't know, it's, it's a tricky one, to be honest. I think, I think I'm going to side with uh, Joel on that one, but just barely. Uh, you know, it is obviously made a lot of clichés, but... 
yeah just there is too much violence in this film for me and it, I don't know why it just doesn't quite doesn't quite work in this one so yeah I, I, I kind of agree with the dialogue but like there should have been a drinking game that we could have played earlier with regards to watching this <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah but I'm crazy <laughs> you're one crazy <laughs> yeah but you're old <laughs> so that was essentially Lethal Weapon 2 I think uh, <laughs> with your Tesh unit hey guys you're both old crazy <laughs> okay uh, so moving on Dave what is your first point that you want to discuss uh, I would like to discuss essentially casting characters in a nutshell I think you know we've got some good performances here and I think we've actually got some well written characters it just it might surprise you for what is essentially a bullshit 80s action film it's actually oh, got well, you're defending this yeah it's actually got I, I think there's something to enjoy in that I think it's actually got some surprisingly well written characters flawed but well written I think okay let's start with Danny Glover okay Roger Murtagh he has a tricky job there are some flat lines in this script and some of them he delivers in suitably flat style I've got to admit but for the most part I think this is a really well developed character yeah he's old but we start off the focus is he's essentially entering at what could be a midlife crisis you know he's, he shaves off his beard right at the start because his daughter says he looks old then his captain tells him it's like oh the, the beard make you look, long, look longer it's like the guy can't win it's like you feel sorry for him he comes out he's, as he's leaving the house his daughter comes down the stairs in a New Year's Eve dress and he's, he really realizes his little girl's growing up she's getting older she's a woman now and it's just like shit it's making him feel older he's like god gonna be a goddamn heartbreaker it's kind of a poignant touching moment you know what i think i mean i'm seeing some sniggers around the table here you guys not think i just found that scene a little odd like to be honest <laughs> like it didn't yeah yeah i don't know sure if it yeah it was just after the bath scene as yes well, which was so yeah probably one of the very odd as well i'll, so, I'll yeah. tell you why that film's a little that scene's a little odd it's the soundtrack it's because Lethal Weapon soundtrack is essentially slow, sexy blues guitar and a very soft 80s saxophone. And it's kind of a very sexy soundtrack throughout the entire film, no matter what's going on. And they use that in that scene. In the family scene, because yeah. it doesn't work, does it? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's a little out of place. It's a little out. But if yeah. you take the soundtrack away from it, what you've actually got there is actually quite a sweet scene of a guy realising that his daughter yeah, is growing yeah. up and that he himself is there, thereby getting older. And that's kind of the big thing about his character, to be honest with you. It's, um, you know, Danny Glover was only 40 when he first this by the way little, mm. little, little fact oh, for you there yeah. just throw that in Edging there in. <laughs> in there um, and I think the, uh, talking about Martin Riggs now Mel Gibson a complete contrast to Danny Glover's character who's got this beautiful home beautiful family he's got everything everything that Martin Riggs could have had had his wife not been taken from him so cruelly and it's kind of I think you get, you get that from Mel Gibson when he gets invited to dinner and he's looking at the family scenario around him the family setting and I think you see that kind of that regret, that kind of feeling, that, you know, it, it, it really does hurt him that he could have had this, that he was on his way to it. And I think Mel Gibson actually gives a very good performance in this film. I really do. I think the, the crazy bits are just funny. You know, the wild-eyed, wild-staring Mel Gibson. It's like, that is quite amusing. But it must have been really difficult for Mel Gibson to play a crazy oh, no, no, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. He really got into the head of that character, didn't he? He's yeah. never left. He was still playing that character up until 2014. Yeah, yeah, Martin Riggs was not racist. <laughs> but uh, it, it's overdone but yeah, it, could this be the psych out the bad guys because it could be actually more subtle than that could it be you know that cocaine he just tasted in that bus scene that you mentioned before <laughs> you never know but I think there's a lot of 
subtleties to his character that you've got to acknowledge, such as the sniper scene, which Joel said, yeah, okay, if this was real life, he would have been dragged off that playground and probably put on suspension at the very least. But the scene, he's, um, he's about to walk away. He doesn't want to die, per se. He just doesn't necessarily want to live. He's about to walk away. Yes, what's the SWAT team on the way? Uh, yeah, unknown ETA. And he's about to go, and he sees a kid being carried past wounded, and he's like, no, I can't just walk away from this. Screw it. These rest of the guys have got something to live for. I'm going to go in there. And he puts a cigarette into his mouth, and he forgets to light it. He gets in the zone. He's kind of, the psyche kicks in. He does that entire scene, although with a cigarette in his mouth, it's unlit. Mm. through that entire scene he's in the zone he's, he's lost he doesn't even realise that he's got it and then he takes the guy down and as he's walking away he doesn't even want it anymore you can see he's shaking he throws the cigarette away still on it's, it's actually really I have to say it's a really good bit when the SWAT team are coming past him and they're all in like you know the Kevlar and gear and stuff like mm. that and he's just walking down I, yeah in, did, a, in a shirt and jeans <laughs> no, no breaking protocol there, but and it's, it's little little subtleties like that which show that either Mel Gibson or the director thought about this character a little bit although this film is a bullshit action film these are some well-written characters. And also, I just want to quickly talk about uh, Gary Busey, who I think gives a, a quite a good support role. I mean, this is a guy whose uh, film career was on the way out. He was uh, dead in the water as far as Hollywood's concerned. And this film brought his career back. Thanks, Lethal Weapon. Must have been really hard for Gary Busey to play a crazy guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah on, the, on the surface. How, how long did it bring it back for? Like, uh, oh, a good, a good three years. A couple of years, yeah, and then it was back good, out. Good three years. I think about Point Break. I think he, Point Break he peaked, and then that was it for Gary Busey. With yeah. regret. Predator 2 is in there as well. Yeah, with Danny Glover. Yeah, playing. Oh, yeah, with Danny Glover again. Yeah. He's playing the role that Arnold Schwarzenegger should have gone for. But again, a little subtlety to the script, if I may. Just talk about Mr. Joshua, Gary Busey's character. It's like, yeah, okay. He's just a crazy merc. He's got no, no. Well, he does have some loyalty to his employer, but he's got no emotion. He's cold. He's crass. He'll kidnap, kill, extort, torture. He'll do anything. Could you not consider him? I don't overanalyze it because this is a film you shouldn't really overanalyze. But could you think he's a darker side of Riggs himself? Both of them army veterans. Both of them Marines. Mel Gibson suffered a trauma. So did Mr. Joshua, you can only presume. And Mel Gibson went one way. He joined the police. And as he said, that's what kept him going. That's the reason he never took his life, because of the job. Mr. Joshua went into the hired mercenary game, the Dogs of War game, and sold his soul. He's essentially suffering from post-traumatic stress, much like Martin Riggs, but the, it's the way Martin Riggs could have gone had he not joined the police. It could be a darker side to his character. Maybe. You know, you probably don't want to overthink it. But... There's little subtleties to these characters. These characters are better written than they appear to be on the surface. Oh, very interesting stuff. So, Joel, Dave mentioned about subtle character developments. He talked about the possible uh, deeper, darker look into PTSD. Uh, he also spoke about a blossoming relationship on screen between uh, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. And he also defended Mel Gibson from being crazy. <laughs> no, no, I, I defended Martin Riggs from being crazy. <laughs> Mel Gibson, make, I, make that clear. Yeah, he, he needs Johnny Cochran or someone to defend him. <laughs> okay, Joel. Okay, so I'm going to kind of go over some familiar ground here, but but Mel Gibson, the overblown attempts at playing crazy, like I said in the first point, it's just unintentionally funny and it's played over and over again it's kind of like a broken record how much how crazy he is and just it's 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 mind blown by the end oh, of the please. film <laughs> you're old you're old um, and the, chem the chemistry here between uh, Gary Boosie and Mel Gibson for me is just non-existent I mean they have the 
kind of familiar background in that they were both they were both Vietnam War veterans, but I just don't think there's, there's anything there. And the the end scene, like I said, with being homoerotic and the fact that they choose to have hand to hand combat, you would expect it to be almost like kind of a grudge match, as in they've really wronged each other. What's so homoerotic about? Yeah, this is what I wanted to ask. <laughs> what is what is homoerotic about this scene? It's two guys kicking the crap out of each other. Mel Gibson takes his shirt off, and then Gary Boosie puts him face first into his crotch and leg locks him there I, that is a really chokehold right so <laughs> that, that could be a legitimate wrestling move I don't know it's a legitimate wrestling move and, and to be honest with you Mel Gibson's shirt was already thing. off because after the torture scene he just put a shirt loosely over his shoulders so the shirt was already off he, he oiled himself up as well no <laughs> no Joel that is a fire hydrant that burst <laughs> that right. is not oil before we get on to whether wrestling is homoerotic or not no, no one was going to go there Gav I could see Bruce De- desperately trying to shoot one line, yeah, desperately, yeah. Right, Joel, can you please continue? Um, so, yeah, what I was saying, the, the zero chemistry between between Boosie and Gibson, you know, if you make, like, a die-hard comparison, which is a year later, the hero and the main protagonist there, um, sorry, the main villain there, have, you know, good reports, like, back and forth, all that type of stuff, um, and there's just nothing of that here. I can't see any reason, really why Mel Gibson would want to have hand-to-hand combat with him other than the fact that he is crazy. Um, so then we move on to Murtoff and he is a little bit cringeworthy. I think I do like the contrast of between the characters, you know, between between Riggs and Murtoff. You know, I'm not going to say anything bad about that, but I think Murtoff is just very, very awkward throughout the film. Um, the scene with his daughter, for example, the bath scene, um, you know, there's just a hell of a lot of it. And there is there's just one particular quote that I want to that I want to mention. Um, it's the scene where uh, Murtoff is on the phone and he gets a phone call from from the police doctor, kind of like a psych report. And it says uh, the man is on the edge. He has suicidal tendencies, and when he goes, you do not want to be anywhere near him. Um, and you know the doctor kind of forgets to mention that Riggs is demented, depressed, unpredictable, loves to kill people and he kind of has a good reason for his erratic behaviour and Murtoff just kind of almost shrugs it off and just near enough does little to nothing to kind of counter this whereas if you know that was a real situation and it's hard bringing realism into this film but if that was a real situation you know you would go and have a word with your police captain and there isn't even a hint of worry in uh, in Murtoff there well, we all and know in 80s action films the police captains are holding it well actually there's that scene at the end where Riggs and Murtoff is just pretty much blown up you know a street in, in Los Angeles and the police captain, bullets the police captain just says take my car lads you know go and finish the job type of thing rather than <laughs> rather than uh, put the assault weapon down yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and that that's pretty much it you know Riggs is crazy he hasn't met anybody who isn't on his side that he hasn't killed and I just want to finish off uh, with a quote that I wed wed um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it says it's a good thing that the nasties who are giving Mel Gibson a hard time and lethal weapon never heard the one about not shooting until you see the whites of his eyes or this movie would be over in a couple of frames yeah True, true that. 
or is it Alex? Right. Can you please tell us which side of this argument you're going to sit with? Um, you know, I you know I, I agree with Dave. I think it's like you know it, this this possibly was the birth birth of a cop buddy movie. You know, and um, I think it's nice how Murtaugh brings uh, Riggs into the family. I think it's nice the way that sort of wraps it up. It makes the film, you know, makes their relationship important. Really bonds them. It's a really central part of the film. But I would have to disagree with Dave on the point of these being well-rounded characters. Like they're they're not well-rounded. I just do not think these are well-rounded characters. Like like we said before, Murtaugh's old. That's I think that's the only adjective you can think about that character Riggs is crazy again the only adjective you can think um, and Gary Busey's um, also crazy a dick yeah he's, he's a crazy but an evil crazy I did like what Dave was saying about him being the darker side of Riggs I think that wasn't pro- possibly properly explored but yeah no I, I think that's you know with the special forces tattoos and I think that's good the, the, the one you thing you know he's got blonde hair and Riggs has got dark hair oh, of like, course oh, yeah, yeah, of course very clever yeah. uh, the, the one thing I'd say though is I, I I like my cop dramas a little bit more I don't know a bit subtler and this is just there are good guys and bad guys two two types of people in this world I know maybe that's what people went to the cinema for what people enjoy but for me that sort of uh, just yeah I, I wish there was a little bit more of a oh god I'm going to say a Joe Pesci character I suppose <laughs> 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 maybe that's it oh well, my god you're in for a treat oh my god you got your wish that's the way my, my argument just led me to Joe so, Pesci so you think that there should have been some sort of split between the two I don't know just an explanation one. maybe of why the criminals are criminals or just it, it, it's just a little bit too these are good these are bad and that's that you know um, but you know that's just my I have to say that is just my my opinion so yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to say I do, but I really do like the, the relationship between uh, Murtaugh and Riggs in the film, so, yeah. Well, you mentioned um, you've quite frequently actually been a buddy cop film. Uh, this isn't just you, Alex, <laughs> this is everybody. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was probably, uh, I wouldn't say the first, but probably the most famous of the time buddy cop film that kind of brought this, this genre to, to life. Really, so I thought that this could bring us nicely on to <laughs> our favourite part of the show, which is Quiz Dave. <laughs> That's Quiz Dave. <laughs> I'd actually forgotten this was a part of the show. <laughs> so, uh, I've been working on songs for this, so. Uh, <clears throat> uh, Quiz this love that I'm feeling. <laughs> Quiz this love that I've been searching for. Okay, Dave. I, I love that. I, you know, I'm a, I've seen White Snake three times. You know, I love that. <laughs> okay, so this one is called Buddy Cops, Bloody Plops. <laughs> Terrible Buddy Cop Partners. I was going to say, it sounds like an average evening for you, this guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the best name I've come up with, to be honest. So basically what I'm going to do here is I'm going to tell Dave eight buddy cop partners from cinema history, and he has just got to tell me whether they are true or false. Challenge accepted, Dave? Challenge accepted. Bring okay, it. right. Number one, a dolphin. Is that true or false? Uh, I'm getting that false. false. Surely not. Alex? Um, false. It's got to be. Joel? Uh, true. No, it's false. I just came up with that one. <laughs> oh, wow. But yeah, yeah we got a potential there, I think. Yeah, so yeah. I can't believe that there hasn't. I know. That's <laughs> going to be made in two years. So Paul, Paul Hogan did Flipper. He's got nothing going on right <laughs> now. <so. laughs> he did, didn't he? Okay, number two. A samurai. Dave. Oh, I hope so. I'm going to say yes. Yeah, for the same reason. Yeah, yeah. true. I just want it false. 
false. No, it's true. Samurai cop, which is probably... Oh my God, I think you told me about this years ago. <laughs> I actually bought Big Dave Roberts' a copy of Samurai Cop on DVD. It is as bad as it sounds, to be honest. Oh, so, uh, number three, somebody with multiple personalities. Oh, I think that's been done. I think that's true. Isn't that the cowboy ninja viking? <laughs> is, that, is, is this that me, myself and Irene? No, no, no. He, uh, he was, uh, what was he, a Rhode Island traffic warden. He was. Yeah. I can believe this one. I think this is true. True? Okay. It is true. Yeah. It's called Loose Cannons. It's starring Gene Hackman as a rough and tumble detective who's paired with a brilliant detective who suffered a trauma and uh, resulted in... Multiple personality disorder. Wow. It's played by Dan Aykroyd. And the, really? Yeah. The plot of this film is that the pair of them have to hunt down a stolen Nazi sex tape which featured Hitler. Jesus Christ. Why have serious? I not heard of this film? <laughs> really? Yes. <laughs> Dan Aykroyd and Gene Hackman. Dan Aykroyd. Were they under contractual obligation for this? <laughs> they were probably both high. I think they were under the influence, yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably. <laughs> okay, number four a zombie. Oh yeah, I'm sure one of you, this is probably a trauma film, Gav, or something like that. But hundred percent. This is like they've done every zombie combination. Yeah, this must be. Yeah, it's gotta be true. It's gotta be. Uh, yeah, it is true. Uh, Dead Heat. I think I've shown you this. One is it trauma? I don't no, think it's so. It's not trauma. It's with uh, Treat Williams and Joe Piscopo, where <laughs> one of them is killed. I think it's Joe Piscopo at the beginning of the film, but because of some voodoo bullshit, he is brought back to life. Well, not brought back to life because he's a zombie. It's kind of like a more aggressive Randall and Hopkirk deceased, I presume. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or he's not a ghost. Um, number five, an alien. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon this must have happened. Uh, yeah, same. It I'm thinking. Have. I'm thinking about like space precinct back in the '90s. Yeah. Something like this must have happened in film. I'm gonna say false, just to be the odd one out again. I think it is false, to be honest. It's probably true, but through my extensive somewhere research, that has happened. <laughs> well, no, Hollywood's say block. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's false, but hey, there's still time, guys. And number six, a dinosaur. <laughs> Yes. No, hang on. This is a famous film. Yes, this has happened. No, I think you've shown me this film. Yeah. Yes. No, yes. You, we know about this, Gav. You've inflicted this on us. I'm sure. No, this has happened. This is true. This happened. It was all... <laughs> I am going with true. Yeah, this happened. This is my downfall. I should just stop showing it more terrible. <laughs> it is true. It was called Theodore Rex, and it starred Whoopi yes. Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> I think it was like the first time I came around to your house when we were 13. I should have, I should have just <laughs> known then. Yeah. <laughs> this yeah, rings a bell. just never I know. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, yeah, she plays a cyborg law enforcement officer who is paired with a dinosaur. I'd forgotten she was a cyborg. I forgot she was a cyborg. <laughs> to solve a dinosaur murder. I'd just like to point out now we are recording this show in a conservatory which is incredibly hot. <laughs> and the jury that we brought in to act as the jury and be impartial and listen to the arguments and take notes have decided to just take their clothes off and, and play a drinking game which will make which will make the I've, verdict I've been, very interesting. I've been joining in the drinking game, yeah, well, so you know my final we'll, points we'll, are gonna we'll be, be a bit incoherent. <laughs> I, the only person who hasn't been joining in this drinking game is Joel, to be honest. So he's probably gonna win this. I'm one. too old for this shit. <laughs> Okay, okay. Does that make me crazy? <laughs> We're all crazy. We're all bloody crazy. Right, let's wrap this up uh, with the last one, a kid. Yeah, I'm going to say true. Uh, false. 
As, as in actual a, a, a partner a child or partner. Goat. I mean or, or a kid that witnessed a murder or something and then has to team up with the detectives to help solve it mm, uh, I, I'm, okay, I'm, I'm going to go too much into it I'm yeah, going to say true, true. I'm going to say true just gave the, a bit of the plot <laughs> yeah. no it's not a murder uh, no I was talking about my line <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 basically you've, you've uh, scubbed me there I shouldn't have been playing in the drinking games uh, yes it is true it's called Copper and a Half Starring Burt Reynolds and a child. Oh, Burt, why? <laughs> directed by... Burt uh, never says no. By de- directed by Arthur Fonzarelli Fonz. Uh, Henry Winkler. Winkler from Happy Team Show. Well, well, I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of want to watch it. It is terrible. I've actually got it on DVD, guys, so when we get back... <laughs> there we go. <laughs> there, there we, treat. There we anyway, go. Anyway, moving on to the last point. I'm going to give this one to either or Joel. I haven't got any points. I've finished my points. The only point I had was that the music sounds like it's from a porno, but Dave more or less touched on that anyway. And is that negative? <laughs> I don't know, jury, is that negative? We'll find out, we'll go into that soon Okay, uh, so if you guys have got no more points Oh, well, actually, no, no, take it back, we do have more I did. I, I thought we were going to do closing statements, to be honest oh, with that's you that's what I was going to say yeah. My closing <laughs> statement is one's old and one's crazy <laughs> Done, done. I, uh, that, that was my closing statement is that? <laughs> Right now, okay, right I, I would just like to Seriously though, guys, seriously though, right, right uh, So, yeah. Dave, would you like to give your closing yeah, okay, just to wrap this one up, in all seriousness, well, no, not in all seriousness, because this isn't a serious film. You've referred this as a cop drama, I think, Alex, you've heard it as cop drama. Forget cops. That's that's a bit of a subplot. This is an action film. It is just an 80s bullshit action film. Enjoy the ride. The plot is nothing we haven't seen before. It brings nothing new to the table, but this is an entertaining journey. It's about the journey, not the destination in this case. This film is fun. This is one of the best 80s action films that have been made the soundtrack is a bit naff let's be honest now the acting is a bit naff the explosions are overdone the violence unnecessary it's all a bit naff but it's brilliant guys this is entertainment on the risk of getting a bit Russell Crowe in Gladiator are you not entertained are you not entertained (laughs) (laughs) I rest my case (laughs) thank you thank you Dave Joel would you please like to give your closing statements I've given mine, so no. <laughs> Your closing statement one is old and one is crazy. Just to repeat that, one's old and one's crazy. <laughs> I, I remember something that we didn't do was to read back the synopsis for the film. Uh, so I'd just like to do that. Uh, Joel's just done it. I, I was going to say, and let's see if it touches... One's on. old and one's crazy. <laughs> Stop! Uh, so, 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 so see if we can do it, see if it says it in a different way. Okay? I'm sorry, guys, can I just explain that basically the drinking game that the jury have been playing is every time we say one's old, the other's crazy, they have to drink. So uh, en- en- enjoy the next uh, 15 minutes of jury selection. <laughs> so all, all I'd like to say is, it does it count if it's um, kind of done in a different way because I'd like to read the synopsis now a veteran policeman brackets old (laughs) (laughs) is partnered with a younger suicidal officer brackets crazy (laughs) genuinely (laughs) Uh, they both have one thing in common hating working in pairs now they must learn to work with one another to stop a gang of drug smugglers this summer (laughs) and uh, just before we close it there I think I'd like to pass it over to Alex to talk about one of Martin Briggs's 
most craziest moments in the film? <laughs> oh, the trivia. Okay, yeah. So uh, the trivia I found was apparently Mel Gibson didn't have to act too much because in the scene very near the start when he uh, is nearly suicidal because um, he's so crazy and he puts like puts the gun um, in next to his head and he puts it in his mouth, there was an actual live bullet in the gun uh, that I found out. So, yeah, so method actor Mel Gibson, who knew he was actually crazy. <laughs> if, if that is true, that is severely twisted. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, taking the crown directly off Daniel Day-Lewis's recently retired Gee, It's head. true, yeah, yeah. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis would probably pull the trigger at some point. <laughs> 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 so I would like to pause uh, at this point and say goodbye to all of the team, uh, the defender, the prosecutor, and the character witness, and we're going to replace you now with the jury who are going to give their final decisions. Okay, now welcome back everyone. Now we are moving on to the jury section of the show. We have heard the points of both the prosecutor and the defence, and we've also heard the additional arguments of the character witness. Now what we're going to do is we are going to discuss them as a jury, okay? So um, it's going to be very pointed, I'm sorry, but you've all been drinking quite heavily, so... (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. I want to try and keep some sort of format to this. Okay, so the first point that the group spoke about was the general plot. So can I start with Winston? What are your comments about the plot? Um... To be honest, I didn't really write anything about the plot. I just wrote about how <laughs> all the action was and uh, how cliche it was and how it lent itself to... Uh, how it borrowed itself from other action films. Um, other than that, really, um, a lot of the script was really highly offensive as well. And, um, <laughs> Maybe for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I mean, the one like the Asian American character just being one Asian American. I know, yeah, I just say like, oh, calling her Irish as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh fuck it, no, but we we discussed this. <laughs> like, not, in all, depth enough. not in depth. No, no, order, order, order. Okay, well, okay. Austin. I, I made a note there about this cliches, and I think uh, I think Dave was right. Is that the film probably made the cliches? Like, it was done in 1987, and, yeah, like, that was the start of great action films. This is the first great action film, and that's what I took from all of the arguments that came out today, even from Joel, who is prosecuting, is that this was, like, the start of good action films. So, yeah, it's tired now, but it was great then, so... Is it still, it's still right now. It's the same it's the same story as normal. Okay, so Winnie is siding with Joel on this one, too cliched. Austin is saying that you know the cliche started with Lethal Weapon is behind Dave. Steve, what do you reckon? Um so I mean I'll I'll read out some of the points that I got from Joel, which was Riggs is mental and wouldn't be on the police force. Crazy and old uh, is overplayed. But you did get a catchphrase from it, which was Dave's defence. And I think that that is, that is correct. Uh, there's no tension in the film. I would have to side with Joel on that. Um, it doesn't feel very tense at any moment. Like, they're, Even the they're hostage part with the uh, Mertar... Uh, I'd like to say his name is Mertar, by the way, not Mertar for whatever the hell Joel's called him. <laughs> it's the fact So even the hostage exchange where he goes to the desert to get his daughter back? Well, okay, so the way that it's been... Uh, no, I'd just say that I, I don't have an opinion on that. Yeah, but based on the, the top, though, but it's, but it's based on based on the arguments that we've had. I'd say 
for Joel saying that there's no tension, I would have agreed with him on that. Okay. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not pulling out scenes. Uh, the homoerotic fight, I loved. <laughs> like, uh, I think the, there should be more homoerotic fights in action films together. I, I would agree with you, but it was uh, the thing that the thing that clinched it for me was uh, the PTSD. Yeah. Uh, which Dave touched Dave, on yes. like yeah. genuinely that was that was amazing Dave's PTSD um, argument was uh, inspired yeah. not thought of it that way and it made me think of the film in a totally different light yeah, um, great. so I, yeah. I, I enjoyed it 100% very good, um, very good take and then uh, singing happy birthday in the bath I think we'll touch on that later um, we'll touch on it but that, that is what I got from Joel um yeah, we'll, we'll touch on that later. Okay, but thank I, you very I think much. the plot's quite good. Right, thank you very much. So Steve's a bit on the fence. He's deciding with both Joel and Dave. Mike, would you like to give your opinions, please? Yeah, um, for me, I thought the most interesting arguments were those surrounding character and character development. I initially liked Joel's point that um, that uh, they were perhaps caricatures of people rather than being people. Although if we go with Dave's arguments that it was innovative, they were perhaps became caricatures of themselves once other films had copied and mimicked. Um, I quite like the idea that, um, you know, in comparison to Die Hard, we feel a lot more invested in John McClane than we do in Murdoch and Riggs. Um, and I was kind of going along with that until Dave pointed out again about uh, the dichotomy between Mr. Joshua and... <laughs> it was fucking uh, brilliant, mate. Like, yes, seriously. yeah. The dichotomy between Mr. Joshua and uh, Riggs has both been uh, PTSD uh, war vet survivors and how they responded to that particular psychological trauma. And so I'd say perhaps we were just more invested in John McClane because we spent more intimate time with him and that these are, in fact, fully fleshed out, well-developed characters that we can uh, empathise with. That's a good point. That's a good point. That's a very good uh, point. I think that's very good. Yeah. Um, I'll be back anytime, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We've had so many fights during this weekend. <laughs> this, this is probably uh, the long and drunken podcast episode we're going to say. But uh, we're actually recording this episode in the countryside at the moment. And while Mike was speaking, then I didn't. I heard a, a loud gunshot. Did anybody hear that? Yeah. All those birds. Yeah, 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 just yeah. ran away. So yeah, it was it? it was genuinely terrifying. I just because of the <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say it is quite surreal but we do come from Liverpool so oh, oh. Oh, 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 oh. we're trying to like clean up <laughs> come on I'm sorry I'm sorry right okay so Mike did touch upon the characters in the story and characters was the second point that Dave and Joel discussed so discussing them in a bit more detail Winston have you got anything that you'd like to add or um, would you like to talk about which one gave the stronger arguments I kind of sla- sided with uh, Joel here I don't think the really rounded up or developed and I know I shouldn't really say it it's a li- the characters are a little bit black and white <laughs> <laughs> wait hold on was that racism well they haven't been really developed and when one's crazy and one's old um, it, it's a little bit ageism and but they haven't really touched against the whole mental uh, illness effect though so I was like, oh, the psychiatrist talking to like the head of the department saying, oh, he's, he's got loads of all these mental illnesses and he just brushes off like all this bravado and male bravado and they're saying, oh, he's a really tough guy, he'll handle it and he's really good on the job. So 
Well, what does that matter? Wait, about okay, that, when, when, did, when was that said? That was right at the beginning. To be honest, right, yeah, I think I, that's I, a thing in all action films. <laughs> he's got something wrong with him, but he's a cop and he's a man and he can just shrug it off. <laughs> and that's something that well, that, that leads well, me to another point. It hasn't really aged very well. It hasn't really... It's just a film of its time and does that make it a great film? Okay, so Can I just ask him, just relating to that, is, is it possible to kind of judge a film outside the context of its time? Because that's where it exists, it draws references from. How can it know what it's going to be like in the future? That's well, I was going to agree there with, um, with Mike, because uh, Dave said... I'm sorry, Austin, I'm sorry for taking that. I would just like to kind of good say... Flaws in the, characters. the characters are not perfect. And, and and Dave, I think Dave said there, it's not a great script, but the guys really, the, the actors really brought them out. They turned them into real characters. Yeah, and they may not have been developed in the script, but they were developed as people. And and I think even your argument and the same argument that came from both Joel and Dave is that they were well acted. They were, you could believe in the two characters. They may not have been excellent though. I, d- I just would like to say, Mike, where were you when I needed you during the Suspiria argument? <laughs> <laughs> where the whole, uh, the whole defense sorry, of the whole George, prostitution George, was just uh, basically like, oh, it's not scary anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. One podcast without bringing up Suspiria. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, okay, right. I'll stop bringing up Suspiria. Okay, I'm going to move on now. Right, uh, Steve, what would you like to add to this? Okay, so basically... Uh, uh, adding to Ozzy's point was uh, Murta being old, a well-rounded character from Dave was a, a, a fantastic point, and he, he he based it on evidence from the film as well. So like him, uh, Murta being in the bath and uh, having his entire family come in is weird and creepy, but it shows that they are a tight family unit. Like, like enough to see the balls. There were suds, Winston. There were suds. However, I would like to say I know family members, not my family members, but I know I know people that are close enough to their family for that not to be weird. I would, so, I would just like to add that we have all just been in, and are, as soon as this ends, no, we're mates. Pretty much one giant bath. I do like um, Steve's point that perhaps um, anything that sort of deviates from the sort of um, standard definition of normal when seen in the family units. Uh, in film is considered to be quite obscene whereas in real life it might just be very normal and um, kind of uh, mundane yeah yeah and it, it, it shows a close family unit like they surprised him in the bath because it was a surprise it wasn't because they wanted to like touch his dick or anything guys I've got one more point one more point can you can you wrap this up Steve okay I can wrap this up with an argument and not just talking about Danny okay fair play fair play so the the other point that um, Joel and uh, Dave made was like, so Joel said that the characters weren't weren't well well rounded, or well, they were too deep. Whereas Riggs missing out on his family is stated quite a lot during the film, and it makes him a well rounded character. Like it it makes him someone that you can empathise with because he's lost his wife, and he does look at Mertar's family as if shit I, I could have had this and it makes him more depressed and also crazy so like I, I thought that, that was a really good argument and it, it it does make the film better okay thank you very much Steve so we have several different people 
siding with both Joel and Dave. There's a lot of mixed feelings here. Mike, is there anything else that you want to add about characters? Um, I think it's been very well covered. I think it might maybe... Um, uh, it's quite interesting that Riggs's outlandish behaviour is just so raw that even though he kind of shines brighter, he's he's possibly the most realistic character in the film. Oh, yeah. oh, very good. I'm just putting that that pre-medicine English degree to use. It's got to be useful. <laughs> it's got to be useful for something, right? Oh, it's far, aren't they? I, I would like to say if this was an audition to be part of the podcast, <laughs> Mike would be absolutely in this right now. If I was Joel, I'd be very worried right now. <laughs> So, I just want to thank all the jury now for the very considered points. I've got um, fast loads more <laughs> 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 to, to be honest, as as the as the show has gone on, your scroll has got more and more <laughs> drunken. And I, can, I can still read it. No, no, I, no, I think we've heard enough from you. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Okay, guys. Now, bringing it together, wrapping it up, I'm just going to ask you a simple question of which side of the argument you're going to sit with, and I just want an answer. Now, hopefully, it will be one way or the other but if it falls two to two if it's a hung jury i will pass the final decision okay so going round the room winnie what uh which side of the argument are you going to sit with i side with joel joel so the prosecution austin prosecution or defense uh defense defense Steve, prosecution or defence? Defence for the PTSD argument. Okay, Mike, prosecution or defence? Never had so much autonomy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure I'd like to see it come to a, to a hung jury. I think I'm definitely going to side with the defence. Okay, so the votes are in and the film has made the hit list. It joins such acclaimed titles as The Hangover and Conair. How do you feel about that, Dave? I, I approve. It's in good company. I have to say, I think it's one I defended, one I judged. Um, right, okay. Right. Uh, okay, my feelings on Lethal Weapon, if we're going to be brutally honest, my feelings on Lethal Weapon, it has been dated somewhat. But I do feel we were right to... to to put it in the context, taking it, put it as a context of 987 action film, when they were, I'm sorry, a bit naff. They were a bit crap. It's overblown. This is not a police drama. I stand by that. This is just a bullshit action film. If you're going to look for a film to watch on a, on a, a Saturday night, a Friday night, when you're not doing anything, just to get pissed, watch a film. This is a film to watch. This is fun. And I stand by it. It's entertaining. I didn't really deviate from what I truly feel on this. This is a good film. It's, it's fun. Okay, Alex, what were your real thoughts about Lethal Weapon then? Uh, I, I think we owe a great debt to Lethal Weapon. Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a pioneer in the field. Like, a lot of films that I love are probably, you know, I, 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 is it too much to say Die Hard might have been different if it wasn't for Lethal Weapon? You know, it was a year later. Maybe. But, you know, it, it did create a landscape for films of the films that I, that I absolutely love. White, white, but, white, but, white and black cops are, uh, befriend on Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> around yeah, around yeah, Christmas time. I mean, yeah. Cra- oh my God, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Right. There is that, but I know, I know our podcast has kind of a theme namely through Gav of everything being either sexist or racist can I just point out this was in the script Murtaugh had no ethnicity there was nothing to this this just simply happened and I think it's great that this is how it should be I I, kind of like the fact thinking about it that race isn't really brought that much about Murtaugh you know it's 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 not actually it's how it should be they're they're different yeah it's kind of ahead of its time yeah if I may not really I think it's just exactly where it should be you know it was Mel Gibson was recommended by um by Richard Donner after Lady Hawk, he saw him in that. 
Danny Glover was just brought along by casting director Marion Doherty. And it just, ethnicity had nothing to do with it. When it comes to our, our podcast theme of racism or sexism, this had nothing to do with I it. I do fully support Gav in his crusade as well. Like, I'm definitely his <laughs> oh, yeah, no, sexism and racism. Hollywood has some problems. This is a time problems. where it got it yeah. wrong. You know, the ethnicity of Danny Glover's character was not an issue. Okay. It never came into play. No one cared when it came to casting. Uh, I'm sorry though, Dave, I do have a but in this argument, which is we do, we do owe like a, a great debt to Lethal Weapon. But I do find it a bit humorless. I, I don't think it's funny. And this film, it could have been better if it was funny. But it's not like it's. It's just a bit too violent and a little bit too like Mike Joel said. Like you know, Riggs just kills everyone he meets. And I think if it was a, if it had a little bit of levity, a little bit more actual humour, I would have enjoyed it more. But that might just be not. It's not my type of. Yeah, humor. I could come back on that, but I've already won. So. <laughs> okay, guys. <laughs> all right. So uh, Joel, did you actually like Lethal Weapon as much as you were saying you did? Yep. Well, that's good. Thank you very much, Joel. Uh, <laughs> so, this, is, this is wrong. <laughs> it feels so right. Okay, so uh, just wrapping up. So it's on the hit list, but what is it on the IMDb list? So okay, yeah, no, I have no idea. What like out of ten? Um, out of ten. What would you say? Seven point five. Seven point five. Eight point seven. Job. Really? 8.7? Yeah, I think, I think people... 3.5. Right Jesus. Right? Well... <laughs> I think that's some beautiful Joel impersonating. <laughs> so I think uh, Alex is pretty much on the uh, 7.6 out of 10. Oh. Okay, so last week we decided to introduce a new part to the show, which was the caption contest. So this week we have used an image that's been spoken about quite a lot during this episode. It's of Danny Glover sitting in the bath, having a right giggle while his family bombards him with a birthday cake. So some of the quotes that we've had here are, one day, can I get some privacy? Yeah. <laughs> Love that one. Right. Also, great, my kids are looking at my dick. <laughs> Good one. Okay. Uh, Calgon's early commercial campaign wasn't nearly as successful as company representatives had hoped. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. I really, really, really like that one. Really like that one. <laughs> right. Okay. And the last one, and probably my favorite one, I like this one, is at least it's not a toaster. <laughs> Jesus. Love it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Love that. Love that. Oh, okay. So I think we can wrap this up now I just want to say thank you very much to all of our jewellery for their very very good input yeah. especially Dr. Irvin so if you're uh, over in the Isle of Man and you have an accident um, please please go and say hello to him you can at least discuss films with him <laughs> yeah. even if he doesn't look after you you're gonna yeah, he's, he's pretty insightful <laughs> so once again uh, thank you very much to Winston Sang at the underscore quirks Steve Kerrigan at Wizard and Castle and Austin Ray at Aussie Ray all on Twitter please give them a follow because I mean let's face it they don't have that many friends <laughs> right so I just want to say thank you very very much for everyone that has listened to our show so far yep. we really really appreciate all the support that we've received so far we've received loads of great feedback we just want to say thank you very much for taking the time out to listen
listening to our show really really does mean a lot to us uh, we would however like to say if you want to listen to us and follow us more why don't you give us a like on Twitter you can follow us there at Film Trials why don't you suggest a film to us for, to, uh, for us to review or maybe just give Joel some shit either one would be great also you can watch us on YouTube just type into the search engine Films on Trial also you can follow us on SoundCloud uh, soundcloud.com films dash on dash trial and also you can follow us on Facebook as well just go onto Facebook type in search and then type in films on trial please give us a like a share a subscribe give us a five star rating and lots of feedback because we love it all and we just want to say thank you very very much again and we have drawn our next film for uh, film on trial out of the hat and it is Air Force One hey. so the 1997 uh, action, action is it action uh, disaster adventure uh, action, I don't know what the hell it is to be honest disaster adventure and it's essentially now a wet dream of what we hope will happen to Donald Trump one day. Oh, slightly alternative ending. Yeah. Dipped toes into politics right there. Right, so we've also pulled the uh, rolls out of the hat. We have in judge role is going to be me, and in prosecution is going to be Dave. Oh. Defense is going to be Joel. Oh yeah. And the character witness, once again, is going to be Alex. Don't, don't worry, Dave. I'm going to heavily come behind you. <laughs> so, so <laughs> besides, the, I mean, the roles aren't too different from this week, but hopefully we'll have just as much fun next time without the draw, I might add, which is a bit sad. Oh, yeah. But hopefully it won't be too long before they return again. So I will bid you all adieu, and we will see you next time for Films on Trial when we discuss Air Force One. Thank you very much, and goodbye. Hot tub! Hot tub! Hot tub!